0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining me for today's program. Today, a real treat as we go into the world of museums and try to understand a little bit about how do you sell an offline experience online. And to discuss that particular topic with us, we will be joined by Daryl Carp, who is the director of the Museum of Australian Democracy. But before she held that role, Daryl has a distinguished career in the media, where she was both a CEO of Film Australia, but also the head of television factual programs at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and she also remains a non-executive director at SBS, which in Australia is our multicultural broadcaster. But her day job at the moment is to look after the Museum of Australian Democracy, and what a great story that is in the last couple of years since that she's been in in charge. Um, over the last four, few uh, four years, visitors have almost doubled, and in the past year, visitation is up thirty three percent. Over eighty thousand students and teachers visit on school trips every year. Uh, the museum itself has over thirty thousand followers on social media: the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and indeed the. The mission of the Museum of Australian Democracy is to provide an enriched understanding and appreciation of Australia's political legacy and the intrinsic value of our democracy. And interestingly, Darrell also believes that the museum has to play a role or can play a role in helping to bring back trust into government and into our national institutions through the sharing of our future and celebrating our past and engaging citizens and reconnecting them with the importance of policy, politics and government. She joins me in the studio. Daryl Cup. thanks very much for being in transition. Thank you very much for having me. It's a really interesting, let's go to that point, I think, first of all, you know, this notion of a mission of the museum to try to play a role in rebuilding trust, because part of what the business we're in is telling the story of government and explaining to the people the context of why government is making the decisions that they are, and then creating the the video, the audio, the stills, the text, and, and the graphics that can help them to to better understand. But how do you see that the museum can play that role in in rebuilding trust? Because it is quite a serious problem.
0: Um. I look, I just have the, the most perfect job. It is, it is a gift, you know, coming from a media background where I see myself, my, my skill is in telling stories and taking complex ideas and making them accessible. Stepping into a place like a museum... Uh, where you can take ideas. Um, The museum's a really interesting position as Museum of Australian Democracy because unlike a museum of objects, yeah, we have our building and that building is pretty spectacular in Old Parliament House. We're actually a museum of ideas. And so we have the freedom to explore this idea of, you know, trust or how Australians see their democracy or how they feel about it. I think the challenge for us has been, um, I I mean, I describe uh, the shorthand of our mission is... um, um, Our democracy, your voice. So, if you're going to get people engaged, we've got to find a way to connect with them in a really different way. Mm. And so, um, I think it's a really big ask to say we can address the decline in trust. What we've been able to do is to set a process where we can engage with people and say, trust is declining. A healthy democracy requires healthy, you know, democracy. Um, healthy democracy requires trust on the one hand and healthy distrust on the other. We're now at that point where you've got trust on the one side and fear. And when you have fear, you start getting an erosion of liberty and civil liberties. So we then say to them, well, you're part of the solution. Are you in? What can you do? Mm. And that is really what underpins our framework at the museum.
1: And certainly the the museum. I, I often go to the museum and... I'm delighted.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but the, the level of interactivity, you know, yeah. you can't walk into a room where there's not somebody asking you or a, a construct of some sort that is encouraging thought provoking thought, um, sharing history, but then also looking for that two-way interaction. Or you know, write down here what you think, drop a note over here. So is, is that how you're trying to get and build that discussion through, those in, it, through that interactivity?
0: Yeah, that, that is certainly one element and one approach that we're taking. The museum's only been open for um, eight years. Yep. So it's a really new museum. It's the newest national museum in Canberra. So the first period, which was my predecessor, was really about getting it set up, making sure everything was running effectively. Then my first term was activating the space. Now my big goal is uh, influencing the conversation and that's where trust comes into it. So how do you influence the conversation? We can never really change someone's mind, we can encourage them to understand a range of perspectives and then ask them to put themselves in someone else's shoes or consider how they might have responded in a particular way, or even just ask them, what might we do or what sort of things should we collect? So we're continually just opening up um, an opportunity for us to connect. And then once we've connected, you can have a different sort of dialogue and a different sort of conversation.
1: So how have, have you seen this lack of trust uh, manifest itself in the behavior or the or the attitudes of the of the people both from Australia and overseas who visit the Museum of Australian Democracy.
0: The the research on trust that we've done so I'll go back one step and say we sure. started each each 18 months or so we do a big piece of research with the Institute of Governance and Policy Analysis. 3 years ago we did some work around how different generations of Australians see their democracy. Um, And there were some really interesting changes between how a boomer or a builder might see it compared to a millennial. And then about 12 months ago, we started to get some research coming in internationally that was talking about trust is not doing that well around the world. And we thought, well, let's have a look and see what's happening in Australia. So we did some really significant work. It was done through Ipsos on having a look at how Australians respond to key components of trust and one of the things that was really quite alarming for us was that in in 2007 satisfaction and trust in Australian government processes sat at over 80% i think it was about 86% 10 years later it was sitting at around 42%. Whoa. That's a really really concerning figure. Now there are a number of reasons around that but nonetheless we just thought well we can't sit there and allow that to to continue declining, so let's stop and talk to Australians about what do they expect, what do they want, what does trust look like, and then our way of dealing with it was we brought together a hundred um, Australians from different walks of life to have a fairly interesting, uh, piece, you know, dialogue, but also some research on uh, what do they consider their democratic values, and then what might we as ordinary Australians do to support and protect that. And so that's the process that we're currently doing and that will feed into an exhibition that opens in May next year called The Power of Us, which is really about what are we, ordinary people, going to do to make sure that our exceptional democracy continues to serve us well. Is
1: there alignment around values inside that audience?
0: Yeah, there was... The values that that the audience came up with was the sort of values that you would expect to see in... um, any, you know, strong Western democracy. So there were things such as um, uh, separation of power, rule of law, free and fair elections on the one hand. Then you had freedom of expression, a free press, um, and things like human rights, a fair go, and um, compulsory voting. And there was some dialogue as to whether compulsory voting is a value uh, or whether it should be obligation to vote. Mm. The one that was quite interesting for me, one of the you know one of those that top, came out in the top ten was also um, religious tolerance, and I found it quite interesting because it was an open-ended question. What do you consider to be Australia's top democratic values? And you could put as many or as few as you wanted. And we pulled together the top ten. The one that was interesting for me was religious tolerance. It yeah. wasn't religious freedom. It was religious tolerance, which I found really interesting. And the group that we had was, you know, really. Uh, we brought them together. We had um, uh, sitting cabinet ministers, um, bureaucrats who draw, who do policy, um, social change makers, people from technology, uh, people who were working in business and philanthropy, but also we had young people, people from left of politics, people from the right of politics, and then we had very socially disadvantaged refugees, uh, people who had new, new arrivals to Australia. So there was a really good mix, and we had 10 tables of 10, all of whom came from different perspectives, and they had to reach agreement on what and, they thought the top ones were and, as and well. And, and
1: in terms of that, the tone of that discussion, what was that tone, given that the... The headline number is 42% down from 86%. Was there a sense of despair or was there a sense of aspiration and hope in very,
0: the ho- very hopeful. That was one of the things that was really interesting for me. I should add into your 86 and 42% figure, there's one other really interesting one. We asked this group of people um, what, how they felt about Australia's democracy and where they saw it in terms of satisfaction with how it was working and they sat at 62%. Right. Now, that's now, to where
1: be, was that from? If, well, if,
0: that was because a large number of those people are people of influence. They're people who have the capacity to bring about change. Yeah. So you're starting to see a disconnect from haves and have-nots. You saw that as well in the conversation that took place, you know, around um, what those top values were. People who felt less empowered were much more interested in seeing um, Uh, compulsory voting, human rights and a fair go in the top values, whereas people who had more power uh, or who came from a legal or a journalistic background was far more interested in seeing separation of power and rule of law. So you start to see um, a difference in what those important values are. You can't really say that anyone is more important. They sit together as a body. Yeah. But it's a great conversation starter. And even, I mean, I we, we built it up as a card game, actually. We called it Democracy Poker. That's about how do you build engagement? I could pull. have it in my bag. I could sit down and have a game now. But, you know, that really gets to the heart of what we do, which is how do you have an engaged experience, whether it's physically in the museum or digitally? How do we connect in a very real way? How do we have that genuine experience? And in a museum space, you've got quite a diverse um, expectation from people who, you know, the building, who can remember the building from when they came there, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s, so who yep. are probably not that technologically literate, to the millennial generation who um, don't think of it as a Parliament, for whom the words museum, democracy, old, parliament, are not necessarily positive responses. And we've got to find something that works for each of those different demographics.
1: Yeah, We'll come to that in a moment because I do yeah. really want to explore this idea yeah. of the museum and this notion of, you know, selling an offline experience online and the role of content um, in, in telling that story. But if we might just stay where we were, how do you take then that particular... Experience that experiment, that understanding. And how do you imbue that in, in, in a wider realm? How, how do you get that discussion being taken place not just in Canberra at the Museum of Australian Democracy, but how do you stimulate that level of debate and discussion and aspiration uh, around the Australian democracy in communities much further dispersed from, from the capital? How do we make it a topic of conversation so you know, it can start to redress some of those trust issues.
0: So that that piece of work with around democracy poker and the research now feeds into an exhibition. Okay. And that exhibition is going to open in May. And that exhibition looks at um, how government works. You know, if you want to bring about change, how do you go about doing it? Yeah. But underpinning it is are those values and a charter of democracy, which we've been working up coming out of that research as well, which right. is to say, you know, if you were to do one thing to ensure that democracy continued to be successful into the future, what might it be? Mm. If you take one of those or two of those values and say, OK, for me it's um, freedom of the press and uh, the rule of law, what might I actually do? So my small little protest at the moment, it's very small, is if I see something on, on social media that is, in, is incorrect, I correct it or I put a link to something that is correct or I can say you might want to find more about this. Now, okay. I don't have huge followers. I'm not that sort of kind of celebrity type, but that's my little piece of saying I value free, reasonable, fact-based information. I'm going to make my little bit of difference. And our job is to find those ways that everyone can feel that they can do something and make a difference.
1: Yeah, one, every person one thing at a time.
0: One thing at a time. So, yeah. so the exhibition has... The values at its heart. We're actually looking at those heroes of Australian democracy who have fought. For some of those values, we're also looking at internationally some of those areas where those values those values aren't upheld because that's much easier. It's really hard when you're talking about democracy and positive values. It's much easier to understand it. What happens if you take away, you know, the rule of law, or what happens if you take away equal rights or persecute particular groups of people? It's much easier to understand, you know, Nazi Germany or um, you know, yeah. the coming the breaking down of the Berlin Wall, for example. So we're looking at that. We and that will be part of a digital narrative as well. In fact, one of the tasks I've given one of our curators is how do we create? Our digital experiences are really engaging and connecting well and we get fantastic um, conversations going along them. Mm. So I've asked them to think about in the physical space, how do we physicalize a digital experience rather than doing the reverse, which is okay. how do you take a physical experience and take it online? We're actually saying how do you take the digital narrative, which is the before conversation, during conversation, after experience, how do we create something that is a physical manifestation of the digital experience? And right. we're just working through that now okay. and it's going to be really interesting. But it, there's some really fabulous ideas starting to emerge and because we're small and because we work in much shorter time frames than the big museums, yep. we're able to trial things, test things out, see what's working and then adapt it if it's not.
1: But it would seem to me also there would be value in taking this on the road in, in a physical sense, not just, you know, I think the digital experience is one thing, but then to to get it into the classrooms, to get it into the community centres, to get it more broadly. So is there any chance that the federal government may fund, you know, a special project to actually put some money behind this, to, well, to, to let it travel for a couple of years to start to try to work, you know, one person at a time, one community at a time, get them to start to think around this, because it's it's a serious problem, and we really do need to do something about it.
0: It is a serious problem, and I think the challenge for all museums is how do you take something on the road? Yeah. So, we, and certainly I would, I will certainly be talking to the federal government about the opportunity to take some of this on the road. I think the thing for me, which is really interesting in the content space, is to find the original way to tell the story that is really appropriate for the market you're taking it into. Yes. So you, you mentioned earlier we have 90,000 or 80, 85 odd thousand kids and teachers who come through each year. Now, there was some very concerning data um, that came out. Um, Simon Birmingham, our Minister for Education, was talking about, uh, I think it was saying something along the lines of, you know, 30% of young school leavers don't understand how our democratic process works because education and voting and democracy uh, sits in the um, um, history, geography, um, and English elements rather than it being one of those core life skills. And so there was a conversation about, should it be a core life skill? My view personally... Absolutely should be a core life skill. It should be the same as sex education and, you know, how to do a budget, etc. These are one of those skills you absolutely need. But having said that, we've said, well, here's an opportunity. We know that we can take 85,000 kids, give them a truly fantastic physical hands-on experience mm. through the museum, you know, age-appropriate, whether it's dress-ups or role-play or some sort of... Um, experience that plays to the democratic experience, you know, democratic process. So, for example, all our digital schools programs have um, group work. You do it in groups of three, ideally, because you have to reach agreement. You know, it's not I said, you said, we as a group have to reach agreement of how we're going to move forward. Each of the digital processes, it's not push a button because that's a really responsive, quick reaction. It's Move the cursor, you know, move your finger, have a moment to think, am I going to go up? Am I going to go to the right? Am I going to go down? Time for people to change their mind. So we're continually, usefully building some of those conversation, uh, open-ended experiences that you would want a really considerate civic person to do. We're now looking at how do we take that experience digitally elsewhere? Yeah. Now that's not just filming it; it's creating its own experience that works in a remote community in West Australia, and um, we've done we've done tests. Now we've done eight schools with two hundred and fifty kids, continuing to modify it. So, for example, some of the really little things you know that give you interactivity is things like how people vote and. Putting you don't put your hand up. We've got different devices for people to feel connected. You know, if it's a yes, there's a kind of AFL type sign, and if it's a no, there's another kind kind of experience. And we're just continually adapting it so people feel that it's got its own language that's perfect for its market. That's
1: fascinating, isn't it? Really, this notion of content design. Yeah. You know, for an outcome, which is essentially what you're describing, and. It's really sort of point in time, isn't it? And as you say, that that sense of revision and agile design and improvement and and iteration is really a, a mindset that people need to adapt. Now, as someone who is a very, very experienced storyteller, content creator who's come through the years, how do you now reflect on that changing role of content in building the Australian democracy, or you know, telling a government uh, story of some sort, or private sector stories, how do you, h- how do you reflect on the change that's taken place at the moment?
0: The ex- this change is really quite extraordinary. I was one of the very early originators of the website on what was then. TV Science Unit Quantum, that became abc.net.au. So to watch the whole digital transition from (laughs) that very first effectively, you know, single sheet of what's in the program that was delivered digitally with the old dial-in, you know, web, et cetera, and you had to really know how to do code and HTML, et cetera, the little flashing dots, right the way through to where the web um, was everything and now where the conversation is everything and the information you can capture on who's using you and how they're using you and how you extend that engagement experience. It's, it's been really, really remarkable. The thing I would say that is consistent through all of them, as you would know in your space, is content and story. That is, you know, having great content, well told in a way that is absolutely appropriate for the audience just hums. Yes. It, it jumps out, and so we 're starting to see e- even in terms of how people use our websites uh, you know one of one of the challenges for us has been one of the KPIs that government asks for is you know how many people are coming to your websites how long are they on your websites for etc now we know that we can get people to our website if you put something that 's in the curriculum or something that 's got a schools based outcome people will go there for it but For us, the question is, you have to go there, you're looking for research, it exists, the questions are there, the quotes are there, the work's half done for you. Um, (laughs) But for us, if you want to change minds, if you want to have a conversation, it's really about engagement. And so we're just trying to work out now, how do you measure, how do you measure engagement? How do you say that's been a really great experience of engagement for us? Um, And then how much time and effort is there to facilitate some of that? Because digital up until now hasn't been given the same sort of um, care and attention that, say, uh, conservation of an object would get or our school's learning programs would get, but actually go a long way in changing hearts and minds of a different kind of hard-to-get audience.
1: So how are you taking on that challenge at the moment? What are some of the components of that assessment
0: um the really important thing when i came on board which was only you know four and a bit years ago we actually had a very small digital profile you know i'm i'm still amused by the fact that we didn't have wireless you know coming from media to not going to a place with no wireless and you know it was a totally different culture people were kids would have boycotted the place uh, we had no we, <laughs> but you know it was just a different way of thinking now it's an incredibly agile workplace um we we have um a non-siloed based approach. We have really good matrix type style of working where everyone is continually thinking about which particular audience sector is this going to work with and how do we connect with it. We have very, very small teams in all of our key areas, a very small digital team, but we work really closely with other talented people. It's Probably the one really big thing that that I have brought with me from having worked at the ABC and at Film Australia is recognising that, you know, creativity and talent comes from all over the country, uh, not even in your sector. And if you can bring the brightest, the best, the most interesting together, the outcomes you get can be quite magical. And that's really what we've been doing.
1: Sounds very successfully as well.
0: Very successfully. And that balance, the real balance for us is between the physical and um, the, uh, and when I say the physical, the being in situ. The challenge, I think, just coming back to our very early first conversation about trust, Mm. comes down to, I think, um, the idea of being a community. There are fewer and fewer opportunities for people to do something collaboratively and communally outside of a work experience. We don't sit and watch, you know, Neighbors, there's not not a a million plus regular (coughs) viewers, etc. Sport is really the last of those spaces. So one of the areas we've been remarkably successful in is our big participatory events, such as you know for Enlighten, which for the non canberra visitors are the equivalent of Melbourne's White Night or Sydney's Vivid, where we can get you know 36,000 people coming in for a collaborative uh, experience where we communally build something significant that's built around or linked to democracy. Last year, it was our Hansard wall. The year before that, it was free speech floats. And if you can get 36,000 people over four nights into a small museum like ours, all wanting to be part of something bigger, that's an indication that they're groups of people who really do want to be connected over something bigger than themselves. Yeah which is why it's such a fabulous time to be in museums and a fabulous time to be in the Museum of Australian Democracy.
1: But it's interesting, isn't it, that that sense of community and that, you know, people are still turning up at, at big concerts. You know, yeah. there are yeah. big events that people like to. But yeah. I was only reflecting um, yesterday with a friend, and this is my family and I don't think we're too dissimilar to everybody else, this notion of community inside the house. The other night my... Two daughters were in different rooms consuming their content. I was in another room with my device and my wife was in another room with her device. It was about 8 o'clock at night and we were all happily doing our... Yeah. But, I, but I was reflecting on the change, that this is normal behaviour for most families, that we are now doing it. But... I just wonder where that, you know, what change does that make to to the family unit? What change does that then translate out into the community? Uh, what are your views on that? That that continued drive to technology changes the, the the drive, you know, around, you know, the formation of time.
0: I think each new technology brings with it its own um, social shifts. Um, I think it's still to be un- still to be understood. Yeah. This, this whole fragmentation. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we insist on is meals are together. Yes. That's it. Sure. Devices are off. <laughs> meals are together. <laughs> oh,
1: we, we do that too.
0: <laughs> but you know, it's it's a challenge. You actually have to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, but I think I think you are starting to see a need to reconnect. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's,
1: that's an interesting point, isn't it? I, I think these cycles that we move through and all of a sudden we gorge on, you know, certain things and then think, oh, hang on, I've actually overdone this and I'll now move into to another direction. It's so like I got rid of Netflix a, a while ago because I just found myself, I was like, hang on, what am I watching? I, you know, I was lost, you know, was in, in these you know, <laughs> artfully, beautifully directed and yeah. they, they knew exactly yeah. what they were doing to me. And I was, you know, they had me on the hook when it, yeah. the only way I could deal with it was to unsubscribe, get, is to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I could feel that it was, hang on, this isn't where I need to be. So that was a. So, so, yeah, I think I take your point that it's really, we just have to continue to monitor and adapt and adjust and we'll find our you know, hopefully we'll find that e- equilibrium, you know. But you we, we are... You're, but you're,
0: and you're also seeing it, I think, you know, why are writers' festivals and, you yeah. know, Festival of Extraordinary Ideas doing so well? It's bringing people together to feel like you're part of a, of a group. I mean, humans are by nature communal. Yes. We are herd animals. Yeah. So to have... Uh, that opportunity to come together, which is why I feel quite optimistic about, about, about museums. It is a space, it is a safe place to come together, to hear a range of points of view. In that context of trust, museums are very highly trusted. Yeah. We're one of the few spaces still where trust is not declining as radically as elsewhere. Yeah. So, again, I think it plays to that We don't. we don't specifically... Take sides. No. We present information in a balanced way. We provide opportunities for families to be together. That's what we're doing in our kids gallery, for for example, mm-hmm. our kids our kids space, which is called PlayUp, which looks at um, the Convention on the Right, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. You know, the the premise behind that is is a safe space to play for under five year, under six year olds because we believe kids learn best with trusted adults. So it's not dump your kid, crash off you go and sit and have your coffee. It's adults and kids together engaging in the sorts of um, experiences that you yeah. would want someone growing up to be civil, civic citizen. Yeah. Those are hard words to say. It <laughs> kind of feels like some sort of, you know, tongue twister. <laughs>
1: But, but I also think museums um, and, and these collaborative events are a way, uh, I believe the appeal is because, uh, you know, collectively we've never been better educated. We've never had more access to information. So I think it's a place where people can exercise some of that knowledge and to be able to engage in, in debate and discussion and, um, you know, activities where they can actually free up. Um, some of that knowledge that they've acquired through through the uh, you know th- this access to information that we have now um, which again I think the sociological studies in you know five 10 15 years it's going to be fascinating to see sort of f- as we look back on this period of time of this you know this era of abundance in terms of information uh, access to knowledge you know what in fact it has done to the way the you know society matures right.
0: and the access to information and the decline of context, because you can get everything at your fingertips, you can find that piece of information that you want, and the emergence of AI and artificial intelligence. And where do we fit into that is another really interesting, (laughs) at the moment, AI can't tell great stories. So I think you and I in our space are still doing okay. But nonetheless, you know, those are all of those issues that we're grappling with moving forward.
1: So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, a very, very interesting interview with Daryl Carr, the boss of the Museum of Australian Democracy. But you'll notice that it didn't end as it sort of should end because there is so much more. And what we've decided to do is to come back again next week and continue the conversation with Daryl Carp. It there is so much value out of speaking to media company organisations who are now in charge of organisations such as museums because it's this notion of being a media company that fascinates me um, in public sector communication, not only for places like museums but for governments as well because that is the gift that we now have as a result of Uh, digital transformation. We now have this ability to be media companies on behalf of our policy, our program, and our regulation. And I'm I'm sure you got a a whole lot from listening to Daryl there. But we'll be back next week and where we start to look a little bit more around social media and just exactly how do you build the right team to reach the successes that we discussed um, during today's discussion. And I hope you will enjoy it because, you know, it was a very fascinating interview that we we went through. And I think you'll enjoy part two as much as you enjoyed part one. So thanks for turning up again this week. Um, so much appreciated by me and everybody else here at Content Group that you do keep turning up each week. But we'll be back at the same time next week. So But for the moment, it's bye for now.
0: You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.